MPH Sports Podcast. Talk sport and property with sports people discussing their careers and how property played a part in it. Mike Brown, welcome to Talk Sport and Property. How are you, mate? Yeah, uh, yeah, not too bad, thanks, Lee. Um, yeah, good to see you. Good you to chat and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. Firstly, I'd just like to congratulate you on your second Premiership title. Um, how was the head? Yeah, it was for me, it was quite low-key because obviously I had the, the whole issue with the ban, so I didn't get to finish the season how I wanted. So, yeah, it kind of took the gloss a little bit off for me and which was a shame, but, you know, enjoyed it for what it was and, you know, enjoyed the moments after the game and and then we had kind of a friends, family, etc. thing at, the, at uh, the Stoop as much as we could with all the restrictions, mm. which was nice. And then I think a few lads kicked on and and that was me ducking out really, you know, when you've been banned, when you're banned and you're leaving the club, you kind of feel a bit out of it. And I was a bit out of it and you kind of then get your head into where you're moving to and what's coming up so it's hard to kind of stay in the moment as much as I wanted to no of course mate I know but I suppose in light of everything it was I know it wasn't the perfect way of ending your time at Quinn's but it was almost perfect yeah you know not many players can say they've won one premiership title let alone two and you know looking back it's hard at that moment um to take yourself out of the situation and look on onto it um, with an open mind but you know having, having you know moved on from the situation you can look at it and say you know I had a massive contribution especially with the head coach um, being moved along and how much influence the senior players then had to to take um, to, to finally end up with winning you know it was um, very much a, a player-led environment which came from the senior players group which showed a lot um, in terms of what we're about and also how much value there is in a, in a player-led environment. You know, we we came together as soon as um, Paul Gustard left and decided how we wanted to play, you know, how we wanted the environment to be, you know, things like how long meetings should be, how, how long training should be, how long the days should be, what should be in the training sessions, what we wanted to do. We were learning on, on the go, how to deal with situ- different situations that we were encountering during games, I think that kind of there's a bit of luck in there in the end because we we played Bristol and Exeter in, in the in the second part of the season when we didn't have a head coach where we were learning about different situations and I think that ultimately helped us in the final semi final because we lost narrowly to Bristol we lost narrowly to Exeter and we should have won both games but you know we came to play, together as a player, uh, senior players group and learned about those situations which funny enough just ended up happening against them again. Um, because we learned from them, we managed to use them to to get to the final and win. I can't thank you enough for your honesty and transparency with all this. And this is exactly what our uh, our listeners are going to want to be uh, hearing today. And we've got a load of questions for you. And just in case you haven't listened to Talk Sport and Property, I'm sure you've listened to a few episodes there, Mike. But just in case you haven't, we're going to use the first half of the, the pod to talk about your career. And then we're going to talk about um, my favourite subject, which is, which is property. So uh, you ready for me? Yeah. Okay, so Mike Brown, 35 years of age, born in Southampton. I'm actually 36 now, but I'll take that. <laughs> 36 <laughs> years of age. 
a product of the Harlequins Academy, going on to experience an unbelievable 351 senior appearances for Quinns, 99 career tries, scoring over 500 points and playing nearly 27,000 minutes for the club. And, and your international career is equally as impressive. 72 England appearances, winning three Six Nations. Um, in light of all of this, Mike, I have to ask, um, are you just a failed footballer? <laughs> no, there is a lot of there, there is a lot of players who I've experienced that will say, oh, I had trials with so-and-so, I could have made this, could have made that. <laughs> you know, Hugo Monnier apparently had trials for Arsenal, so he tells everyone, you know, Danny, I think his, his is a little bit more legit. Told he was too small, funny enough, for, yeah. for football. Yeah. Um, people like that, but I'm not one of them. But yeah, it's funny when you go over that all that stuff, you know, you know, I should be sat here going, oh, that's 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 really good. But all I can think is I should have a hundred tries, I should have had 360 appearances, I should have had, you know, 80 England caps. Um, I guess that's the sort of um professional sportsman's mentality. You always want more, don't you? Yeah. I think it's it's think it's not until it all finishes that you you sit back and um and realize the stuff you've achieved and I get it in the neck quite a bit from 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 my wife about not um, enjoying the moment as much as I should. Always looking for the next thing, always onto the next thing. I find it hard to explain to her, you know, my mindset. But yeah, it's it's funny when you reel up all that, and all I can think is <laughs> I should have more. <laughs> yeah, Mike, when when did you start playing rugby, and how did it all start for you? So I started playing rugby when I was about five years old. Uh, the first club I went to, which not many people know, is uh, was a, a club called Supermarine near Swindon, because I, I lived in Swindon at that age, and then we moved not long after that. So most people think my first club was Salisbury, but it was actually Supermarine in Swindon, um, and then we moved to Salisbury, I think when I was six or seven, and then that's when I moved to Salisbury Rugby Club, and obviously spent my mini rugby time there, yeah. junior rugby time there. Um, so that's how it started. It, rugby was always in the family. Um, my dad always played. He's he, he's a ex-fireman, so he played for the fire fire services. Played up in Yorkshire as a young boy and stuff like that. Um, loved the game and was always watching it when I when I was growing up. So I sat and watched it with him, along with rugby league. Actually, um, always been a rugby league fan, so I sat and used to watch, watch that with him. And also on the other side of family, my mum's side who was a was a rugby player. He played. Long Irish in the amateur days for Haven as well. So I remember going to watch him play for Haven in places like Exeter, the old school Exeter ground with the, the dog track around it. Yeah. In a in a horrible, windy, wet day in the mud. Um, he was a winger. So he was just stood out on the wing, not touching the ball. But you know, I remember I remember that. So yeah, it was always the natural progression for me to to try rugby. So I got taken down at the age of five. I think that most People my age didn't like it, sat on the sideline, not really sure about getting involved, quite shy and stuff like that. And they were playing British Bulldog and then just got involved and, and then, yeah, just loved it from there and, and, and it carried on. I read that you, um, that you play rugby for your dad and, um, you know, during your, your, your teenage years. Um, I've been a coach to both of my kids and I was interested. So how was that for you being coached? By your dad because I can tell you what the life in my household is caused some right drama um would you would you, would you ever coach your kids 
until I die. I don't think I've got the patience to be a coach, I'm honest. What was yeah, it like, it was, what was it, what was it it like was, being yeah. coached by your dad? What was it like? So it was from a, it was from a, earlier than teenage years, to be honest. It was, I, I reckon it was from the age of 10 onwards. So he was obviously going down with me, taking me down to, to rugby from the age of five. And I, I can imagine for him, he just thought, well, there's no point standing on the sideline. He enjoys rugby as well, get involved. I think he enjoyed the power of being a coach, being a, a chief fire, fire officer, station officer. I think he quite liked that side of things. So, yeah, he got into coaching and also probably to spend spend the, the time with me um, even more instead of just stood on the sideline, which is great. It was tough because he was of the mindset that he had to show everyone, which I can understand, that he wasn't giving me any favours or, or good treatment. So he was even tougher on me. He would never refer to me uh, by my first name. It would be Mr Brown. And I would be usually be the one getting in trouble by him to make an example of. So it was tough at times. The person I am, I didn't enjoy defeat. I didn't enjoy not go, doing well. So I you know, could be a bit moody with things like that. So we'd clash a bit there because he was obviously the coach as well. So, yeah, there was some clashes, but, you know, I think it taught me a lot you know, about toughness, mental toughness, understanding, you know, you're not going to get special treatment in life anyway, in all walks of life. Um, so I got that very early on for, from him. Um, and I think that's the way he was brought up as well. So, you know, I got some good lessons there, not that I knew it at the time. And how did you go about joining the Quinn's Academy, Mike? Yeah, so it's a bit of a strange one and, and probably wouldn't happen so much nowadays. So back in those days you had the academy academy guys that were full-time um, and then they would then stay there all day and train on a Tuesday and Thursday night to make up part of an under 19 and 21 teams for Saturday games. And then they would um, allow all other people, you know, amateur players to come along to those Tuesday and Thursday nights um, for a chance to get selected for these under 19s and under 21s games. And then they would obviously then put them, these amateur players into the teams um, with the with the professional guys um, to give them games, so a couple of my friends at my sixth form college, um, which I chose because it was pretty good for for a sixth form college at rugby. Um, a couple of my friends there had been going, so I you know obviously loved rugby and wanted to progress it further. Thought to myself, I'll have a bit of that, and we used to share lifts up there. Um, when I couldn't drive, they'd take me, and then I'd drive back to Winchester or Southampton. My dad would come pick me up. That would be on a Tuesday and Thursday nights so when my dad would take me straight from college. So it was long days and things like that. But um, that was up in Aldershot, um, which was probably about an hour and a bit from, from Winchester, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. And then I just just uh, went on those Tuesday and Thursday nights and started getting picked for the under-19s and then, uh, then got picked for the under-21s. And the academy coach at the time, Colin Osborne, who would be coaching these th- Tuesday and Thursday nights, gave me a call one day. Um, and basically for, for the second team on Monday night, they were short of a, of a fullback and I'd played all right in the 19s and 21s and he obviously needed a fullback, gave me a call um, and it was at Gloucester at King's home. Obviously, I, I uh, bit his hand off to play and uh, when I got the call, I was actually on the way to Worcester to meet the academy guy there, Nigel Redman, who I, uh, I'm sure old school rugby fans would know because there was a, a uni course um, at, the, at the uni there that was linked with the academy and I was trying to get on that. So I was going to meet him. Um, I had to cancel on the way um, 
to 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 Worcester, which I don't think Nigel Redmond was very wow. very happy about. So I could get in t- there to Gloucester in time for 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 this Monday night game. On the way, we stopped, picked up some boots from from a local sports shop, some some sports trainers. So I looked relatively sporty. Uh, turned up at King's home. I was quite early compared to the other guys that were coming from older shop. Um, I arrived in a change room, no one there. I didn't really know where to sit. I didn't know, you know, who was playing. If, I, I assumed I was on the bench when it sat in the kind of bench spots. And then in walked in walked the team. And I knew one of the guys from this playing in the under 21 um, games that was in the academy, Duncan James. I knew him reasonably well and he walked in and I said, I'm guessing I'm on the bench. Do you know what number I'm I'm, uh, I'm wearing so I can sit in the right spot? He goes, oh, uh, you've not been told you're actually starting at fullback. Um, oh, so you're over there, mate. So, so I kind of slowly and, and shyly went to, to that spot, sat there, not really sure what to do, what was going on. Didn't know the calls and things like that. Um, and end up playing, scored a try. I think I went reasonably well. And then for the rest of that season, I played, I think, all but one game. The bench all started. We ended up winning the, the A-League um, uh, Cup. So, you know, it was good. And then off the back of that, got um, offered a full-time contract for the following year once I'd left um, Sixth Form College. I mean, I love discussing a debut and you made yours whilst um, at the academy during the 05-06 season against the London Irish. That must have been a, a wonderful achievement for you, Mike, and your, and your parents and your family. Um, do you remember it well? Was that my... Um... Was that my premiership debut as well? Yes. Yeah. So I'd actually made a debut for Quinn's season before because we were we were relegated on my first year in the academy, and then that's when Dino came in. Um, we were in the the, the um, in Division One back then, but now known as the Championship. <coughs> so I'd made my um, my debut for the club in the in the Championship Division One uh, under Dean Richards, <coughs> which was great for me. Great progression instead of just being chucked straight into the Premiership. Um, you know, those were tough, tough games against some old school style players. It's a not great environments. You know, we were the team everyone wanted to be. You know, the 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 um, sort of setup and structure, um, infrastructure those those teams had weren't the best. You know, it wasn't professional sport; it was semi-professional. So the change rooms we turn up to didn't have showers and things like that. So so that was a good introduction to to first team rugby. And then yeah, that that following season. The one you spoke about there against London Irish was my premiership debut. I think it was the double header actually at Twickenham. And I think we lost. I don't think the game went <laughs> that well for me. Just just didn't get to, to do much in the game and probably made a few errors um, with my nerves and things like that. Then was out of the team for, for, for a month or so um, and then got back in in the stadiums. As much as it may not have been a great um, opening game, I think it taught me a lot about the the standards and and uh, think, uh, everything that goes with with the Premiership rugby that's expected. Um, yeah, and I went away and worked on my game and then came back and stayed in the team. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I mean, um, during those sort of those early years for you, Mike. I mean, how desperate were you as a as a young professional to establish your your position as fullback um, in a in a very established side at Quinns? Um, massively. Um, anyone that knows me well knows one of my strengths is my competitiveness. Um, so as soon as I want something, I'll, I'll compete till I get it as much as I can and, and do everything I can uh, to get that that thing I want. Uh, work on my game, get feedback, um, do as much as I can to get better as a player. 
so yeah, as soon as I got um, brought into the academy, my mindset was to make um, the most of the situation. I didn't, didn't ever want to leave rugby whenever that was and, and say, you know, I didn't give everything. I didn't make the most of um, this great opportunity I had. So I did that in the academy. And then as soon as I was in the first team, you know, I you know the only sight I had was on that that number 15 jersey, um, you know, working hard on on my skills, and things like that. And I was told by Andy Friend uh, in no uncertain terms that I would never play fullback for, for for that club unless I go go and work on the basic skills of a fullback. And now that's probably my strength, you know, the high balls, kicking, counter-attack ability, one-on-one tackling, all those little things, but mainly high ball, which is now probably my super strength. So, you know, I can only thank him for that. But I went away and did that. I always learned from those disappointing performances like that, that Premiership day we talked about. Um, because I didn't want those sort of things to happen again because I was desperate to play for the club. I was desperate to to wear that jersey and, and, and not get it taken away. It wasn't before long that your country also recognised your talents, Mike, and you made your test debut in South Africa, um, May 2007. I mean, what an unbelievable honour. Did you ever um, picture the day that you'd be putting on the jersey and representing your country? Being a, being a rugby fan from the age of five, I'd always watched England, obviously, and being an England fan and watched every game, been to games with, with my dad at Twickenham. So I'd always wanted to do it. Whether I pictured myself actually doing it, I'm not sure. But as soon as I started playing for Quinns and that became a possibility, again, I was desperate to do it. Looking back, I think it was probably too early for me. That was I got it, at the, uh, I got it on the tour at the end of my first premiership season for Quinns. It was against a South African team that were going to go on and win the World Cup a year later. So they were fully developed in terms of the, their team and, and partnerships and things like that. Whereas we went on a tour where it was the first season of the playoffs. And obviously these tours are arranged two, three years before. So they hadn't obviously taken that into account. So we were we were without the, um, the players from the top four teams. Um, so obviously we were a very depleted squad which then became an even tougher challenge and ask for us. You know, a lot of, a lot of new guys getting their, their caps the same day as me. Um, we were massively under strength. You know, we hadn't been together as a team for more than a week, I think. Um, and we got absolutely battered. <laughs> it didn't go great for me. I think, again, nerves got to me. Probably just like that Premiership debut, to be honest. Um, don't seem to do too well with debuts. Yeah, so it was a, it was a tough it was a tough day, and also off the back of that, I don't like to do things easy. We um, there was a, a stomach bug going around the the squad, and I managed to get it the night before. So I was ill in the night, didn't get much sleep, um, was dry wrenching on the field, no energy. Um, after the game, my dad came up to me and said I didn't look well in, in the even in the um, the anthems. He could see I was pale. Mm. He thought it was just the nerves. You know, I was sort of sweating and. Yeah, I just yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good day um, in in that sense. But you know, obviously, to get your first cap for England is is um, is um, amazing, amazing to do. Well, yeah, I mean the the first of seventy two appearances, um, three Six Nations, eleven years with the with the squad before playing your last game. Ironically. Um, back in South Africa in June 2018. And we won that one, thankfully. And you won that one. (laughs) (laughs) 
looking looking back now if you could choose a moment or two moments uh what were your personal uh highlights Ooh. i didn't prepare you for that one did i yeah um i think if i can pick two i'd, I'd probably pick one from club and one from country so if i was picking one from club i think it'd be that 2012 premiership final winning that um you know when anyone that's won a premiership can tell you how long and grueling the whole season is you know how much effort it takes mentally and physically um to do that um how tough that final is after a long season so just just hearing that final whistle um i didn't even have the energy to to celebrate that much you know i would literally slump to my knees and i was just so thankful that that we won it and it was something we we were desperate to achieve so and to do that with with guys you spent the whole season with you know some of your best mates at that time we had a lot of guys I'd grown up with in the team so to do that with those sort of guys Jordan Turner Hall George Robson Chris Robshaw Gamonio Danny Kerr all those guys that you've grown up with Tommy Williams through the academy I spent a lot of time with to do it with those guys makes it even more special so yeah that that was that was uh um a moment I'll, I'll never forget and then I think the second one for, for country would probably have to be the Grand Slam. Um, winning that that moment, we won that against France, that final whistle, I think. That came off the back of a disappointing 2015 World Cup where we got dumped out, you know, a lot of scrutiny and a lot of people having their say and, uh, you know, us as players getting hammered. Um, to then the following season win a Grand Slam, there's a lot of relief, a lot of emotions um released um and also for me being being a rugby fan from the age of five watching all the six nations growing up with my dad and things like that um seeing grand slam winners and six nations winners to to do it with all the tradition that comes with the six nations and grand slam to be able to put our names in that history is is, a, is an amazing feeling i want to give you a big round of applause here well a massive massive achievement talking i want to go back to quinn's You've spent such a long time there. Um, looking back and looking at the talent of the squad, are you surprised that it that it took sort of nine years to 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 win the the premiership again? I guess. Yeah, I think I could be open and honest with that sort of thing. Now I've left the club. <laughs> um, at the time, I wasn't. Was I surprised? It's disappointing, hundred percent. Looking back at it now, I'm not surprised because I think. After we won, uh, won it in 2012, we slowly started dipping away. We, I think we let what we were good at and the culture we had go slowly. Um, I think we brought in players that weren't maybe there for the right reason or, you know, didn't really fit the, the way we, way our identity as a club and our culture as a club. And we let that slip. We sort of just, just cruised along and we thought probably we thought it would just happen where it takes a lot of effort and, and um, a lot of squad effort and, and individual effort to, to achieve something like that we let that slip um, I think the recruitment wasn't as good as it, as it could have been and was previously I think the big factor was we ended up then so so the season we won it we didn't have many England internationals I think maybe Nick Easter and Danny Kerr were the only two regulars so that's only two players you're losing through the season, whereas the seasons after that, we were getting six, seven, eight players leave for, for international duties 
well, that, that's, you know, the majority of the spine of your team. So that has a big impact as well. So then your recruitment off the back of that has to be spot on to make sure you've got guys that can come and, re- and replace. But I think the main, the main disappointing thing for me was just our culture and identity, which we let slip and continue to let slip until probably Paul Gustard was, was sort of left or moved, moved along, I guess. We kind of got a bit of that back in terms of our identity, definitely players sort of just, like I spoke about, took control and um, went back to what we were good at you know, the, the kind of Quinn's way, which we were kind of playing lip service to before, you know, with our identity. But with that, we were working hard to, to make that our identity, you know, in training and doing the right things in training and then buying into that with, with good ownership and responsibility from the players. And then sort of making sure the environment off the field, and I guess that falls into the culture, was right as well. So, we were, but I think as Quinn's, as a, as a club, probably still got, a, you know, a lot more to to work on in that um, if they want to keep it that sort of thing doesn't just just doesn't just stay if you don't work on it and, and don't continue to work on it and have the right people there to do that um, so I'm sure they're doing that now because they don't want to you know go back to another nine years or whatever it was until you know they win it again yeah I mean you you spent 16 very loyal years at, at Quinn's um, I would imagine that during those years you've had other opportunities and clubs to explore um your career with what made you stay so long yeah to be honest I didn't really get in a position where I ever did really shop about or look about or allow much conversation with other clubs because I was so committed and um invested Mm. in everything about Quinns you know they gave me my opportunity I love the club I love you know a lot of people there so I'm the type of person that's really loyal, committed in my personality. And w- once I pull on a jersey of, of whoever it is, that's me. Um, so I never really got uh, into a position of, 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 of moving, um, speaking to anyone about moving or anything like that, really. It was kind of a no-brainer. Do you think, we, do you think other clubs knew that? Do they think, well, Mike's not going to leave anyway? I think that's probably the perception I had. And that's probably why it was such a shock when I, when I did leave just recently um but that wasn't down to me that was down to decisions that are out of my hands obviously I'd, uh, I'd love to stay there at that time I, obviously I want to finish my career there why would you want to move at the age of 36 when you've been there so long and you feel like your contribution is still on the pitch and off and, and also off the pitch now as a senior player mm. um young guys openly saying how much you know done with them um, in terms of their progression as well you never think it's going to happen and you settle there with your family. So, so in that sense, I never thought I would, I would leave at that stage. So, um, but unfortunately it happened and um, actually looking back at it now, it can be a, it can be a positive for what I want to do after rugby and experiencing a new environment that I've never experienced before the experience of moving and, and how as a player you deal with that and moving your family, all those sort of things can only be a positive what I want to do after rugby. So, yeah. Um, maybe it's just just in 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 the universe that that this happened to me. Um, but obviously at the time it was massively disappointing. I never thought I would leave. So and also like I said, as a personality, I, I get so invested and and committed and loyal to to what I'm involved in. And, and I guess as a as a club man and things like that, nothing else really matters. And that and I was and it was more than just a club and a job to me. 
And I think that's what people don't realise. You get players that are happy to move around, but which is fine. And um, they do it in their own way. But for me, as a, as a personality type, that's the way I am. I'm fully committed to to that club. And it's it's more than just a club. It's everything. It's where I've, I've met my family, where I've built a family. It's where if I hadn't been at Queen's, I wouldn't have met my wife. It's, it's where I've achieved all my dreams. It's where my family have, have had great times and enjoyed watching me do that. You know, it, it's more than just just um, just a rugby club, if, if that makes sense. No, I mean, I mean, if, if we're talking openly, we, we don't really know each other, do we? Um, but I don't think I've probably interviewed anybody as passionate or sincere as, as, as this, actually. So, um, yeah, I imagine any sort of, Quinn's fans uh, listening to this will, um, will will be very relatable to to this, Mike. So um, yeah, thank you for talking so openly. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, no, not at all. And I think now for me as well, I now have to do that for Newcastle, and I will do that because of the way I am. So you know, now I've got the Newcastle. You know, I'm now I'm at Newcastle. And I put on that jersey for training. I've not yet made my my full debut, but you know, I've played in, in um, preseason games. I'm fully invested, committed to that club, and yeah. and love that club, and I have to I have to get to the point where, I, and I will do love it as much as I was at Quinns, and you kind of put Quinns on the backbone of because that's just the way I am, you know. Yeah. That, that's that's how I get the best of, my, of myself. Well, talk talking about um, Newcastle, how was the move? I obviously follow you on Instagram. I saw lorries flying around and kids getting in the way and boxes everywhere. And uh, how's it all been? Yeah, it was it, it was tough. Um, like anyone that's moved house will know, you know, it's a long journey, it's a long move, it's a big move for for us as a family. But once we've settled in and, and got through the, the dramas and the stresses of, of moving house, it's been good. So we've only recently moved into kind of our forever home um, where we lived in Isha. So that was disappointing because, like I said, we never thought uh, we'd be leaving London. So that was um, disappointing to do that so quickly and you, when you do up a house that's your forever home, you're very um, emotionally uh, attached to it, aren't you? Emotionally attached to it. That's the thing, yeah. And you're precious about it. So you have to get over that. So if there's one thing we'd love to do is pick up that and put it here. But then everything else is it's great. It's a great place to to bring up a family. I, I love the fact that everything's so close. It's not like London where you drive half an hour minimum to get somewhere. It's literally everything's 10 minutes away. But I love the fact you can be five minutes down the road, you're in the country, 10 minutes up the road, you're in the city or and slightly further you're on the coast you get the best of everything I'm slightly nervous about the winter that's coming <laughs> because even the locals tell me how brutal it is and if they're saying that um you know you've got to worry so I'm worried a, a bit a bit uh, nervous about that but yes it's right. been great so far and um my wife's made a good group of friends and my my son is is um loving his nursery he's looking through the window at the moment at me so awesome <laughs> yeah and, and we're and we're talking ahead of um this Sunday's game against Harlequins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you disclosed to me before the pod that uh, you're injured. You must be absolutely gutted. Oh, I'm so gutted. It's been a, it, another tough week. Um, you know, since the ban, obviously, I haven't played for so long and, and arriving at a new club, you're just desperate to play. And then at the added fact of who we're playing on that first Prem game of the season. Yeah, the, the last preseason game last weekend, I took a hit to the ribs, went off. It was pretty sore, but I thought I'd be able to manage it. So we went for a nerve blocking injection uh, a couple of days ago. So that would have been the Tuesday to hopefully get through training and play. 
it's obviously desperate to play and they saw a small fracture um, in, in the ribs on, on the scan so that kind of changed things and so early, early on in the season you don't want to be carrying something like that if you get another big whack on that you know it will linger on um, in terms of recovery but also you know touch wood it wouldn't happen but the worst case scenario it could crack even more and then you've got your organs and stuff it's protecting which then can get even more dangerous so it's just not worth the risk as much as I tried to push it and <laughs> wanted to and was asking different opinions on what they thought I assume you'll be there yeah I'll be there um, we'll have we'll have box duties and things like that and obviously you want to support the boys even if you can't physically be out on the pitch but yeah, it's just disappointing and um, would have loved a crack at my old teammates, my old pals and my old club. But, you know, it's not meant to be and hopefully I'll get I'll get to do it at their place instead. Yeah, well, that might be a better occasion anyway. Yeah, it'd be nice to, to go back there and, and yeah. see those those unbelievable Quinn supporters, and, but also um, try and do, do a job for Newcastle. Yeah, brilliant. Well, we're going to enter the, uh, the quick question fire round. Are you um smash it out? Yeah, hopefully it's quick. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure how quick my answers will be. <laughs> okay, number one. Do you have a nickname? Yeah, very boring. Brownie. Everyone calls me Brownie. In your opinion, who is the best player you have played with at Quinn's and no sitting on the fence? At Quinn's? Yeah. It would have been one of probably three, but now that now that he's still playing and achieving what he's doing, I'd say probably Danny Kerr. So it would have been... Danny Kerr, Nick Easton, probably Chris Robshaw, because it's so hard to, to pinpoint one position because they're all so different, yeah. have different impacts in games. But I'd say Danny now because he's still playing, he's still top of his game. I think also it's not just what he does on the pitch, it's it's um, the environment he creates around him as a person off the field. You know, he's happy-go-lucky, he's a lo- lovable rogue and yeah. um, he's great to be around. We're kind of the yin and yang, so we worked quite weather, well together in terms of in backs meetings and stuff. I'd be the the grumpy, direct, challenging person, he'd be the more personable and happy-go-lucky and uh, light in the mood. So we worked, we bounced off each other quite well. I spoke to Danny quite uh, quite a number of times, actually, um, before it all went a little bit quiet, but um, I loved his personality. So infectious, was yeah. yeah. Okay, your best mate in rugby? Again, that's, that's hard. Who's the guy you pick up the phone to? Probably Danny. I'd say probably Danny. Uh, Jordan Turner Hall um, those two probably probably the most okay yeah I'd say cool. those two yeah okay Quinn's winning the league or Six Nations with England oh, I can't do that I can't do that for me they're, they're so different they're so different because yeah they're so different because Quinn's is a full season with players that you know really really well it's completely different environments, club and country. But then country is, you know, the top of the game. It's, it's um, you know, the cream of the crop. It's the most, the best players of all countries. You're going to sit on the fence. I think, I think because, I think because <laughs> you, I think because you only said Six Nations and not a Grand Slam or World Cup, okay. I'll, go with, I'll go with the premiership for Quinn. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Um, the best England player you have played with? Oh, goodness me. Killing me with these questions. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I played with Johnny Wilkinson, obviously, from the first cap, who's probably one of the greatest England players of all time, but he wasn't in his prime when I played with him. Yeah. So, if we're going on reputation, it would be him, but then 
when I played with him, he wasn't at his best. And then you've got God, Manu Tuolangi, who is just his super strength far away. Anyone else, no one comes close to him in terms of that. Jack Noll, I think, is an incredible player and he's just so unlucky with injuries. I think he's he's um, the modern hybrid sort of player that Eddie bangs on about. But, you know, he can mix it with forwards. He can get involved as a back. He's strong, he's quick, elusive, great skill set, um, which I really appreciate in that style of player. So he'd be up there as well. Goodness, I can't, I don't think I could pick one. That's um, fine. I think, um, you know, you've made... Uh... I think you're allowed to say more than one, Mike. Your favourite shirt you have kept from another player? Oh, again, I, I've, I've been one to try and swap swap a lot um, in my in my career, especially with England, because we're very lucky that we get two shirts. So, and and I've always wanted to swap with with fullbacks that I really I really admire and respect. Um, so I've got. In terms of Quinn's shirts, Jordan Murphy, who I think is one of the greatest fullbacks um, the Premiership has seen. He really set stand for fullbacks and changed the way they play. So I've got his from my early days at Quinn's. I've got Nils Mulainia for, for my um, New Zealand cap, playing New Zealand in 2008, who was, was an incredible fullback. Percy Montgomery for my first cap, cap for, for England. He went on to win the World Cup, another great fullback. Um, but then I've got Stuart Hogg, Willie LaRue, Rob Carney, Halfpenny, who I've got, ma- all of those I've got massive respect for players. Israel Falau, who is completely different to all of those. So to try and pick one out of all of those guys is impossible. You've got legends of the game early on in my career. And you've got guys that are going on to be legends who have done so much for clubs and countries who I've played against and had great battles with who I massively respect. Israel Dagg, another one. Um, ben Smith, I mean... Pick from that. Pick from that list. It's a decent <laughs> list, isn't it? They, they, I was going to say, yeah, they're all sort of framed up in a in a room somewhere, or are they just no, no, it's not those ones. The only ones I've got up in the garage are just personal achievements, like yeah. three hundred quid shirt, Premiership winning shirt, all those sort of things. Awesome, um, awesome. Okay, the best game you have been involved with? Again, it's so hard. Played played so many games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Premiership final again. The season before we won the Amnion final, I absolutely loved because that was our first major trophy with that team who I loved being part of. So those two for Quinns really stand out. Another Quinns game was against Toulouse away when they had an unbelievable team. We beat them. I scored two tries. So that really sticks out for me. For England, we beat Ireland in, in the Six Nations 2013, I think. That was an amazing game for me because they were like the the big team at the time with O'Driscoll, O'Connell, all those sort of players, Rob Carney. Um, and I set up a I helped set up a try with my other Quinn's teammates, Robbo and, and Danny ended up scoring. So that always comes to mind. I loved that game. That was a that was a great great game. And I think I got my own match as well. Um so those those ones really stick out, I think. Which football team do you support? Uh, Man United. Oh Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! I know, I know. I you, get that a lot. What's going on? You were you were born. You were born in Southampton. I know. Do you know what it was? So you have to explain so this I, one to me. Yeah. So I moved. Obviously, moved from Southampton at really young age, three or something like that. So obviously, I wasn't in foot, into football then. Then when I started getting into football, I didn't really have a team, and 
I was watching um, the FA Cup final in 94, I think, yeah. which was Chelsea versus Man United. 94, yeah. 91, 91? It actually was 91. Man United-Chelsea. And my friends support Chelsea and my favourite colour is red. So I was drawn towards them. They ended up winning as well, which helped. Um, so since then, I just supported them and I was in awe of players like Mark Hughes and Eric Cantona, Konchelskis, um, Ryan Giggs, all those players back in those days. Um, and I was sort of, sort of a casual fan, but then I really got into them when Beckham sort of hit the scene. He's like, an idol to me and Roy Keane as well another idol of mine um, but that sort of that sort of team then when Beckham sort of broke through that's when I really started getting into it that was my first sort of Man United show with Beckham on the back I think he was wearing 23 at the time or something like that 20, in the 20s the, the number was it was the white kit with the black trim Yeah, that was my first United kit that had Beckham on the back and then yeah, just support them ever since then. And I just love that team in terms of greatest sporting teams. That that uh, 99 team for me, winning the treble with those nice. those players, Schmeichel, Keane, Giggs, Beckham, York, Cole, um, all those different characters they had there sharing them. I just, I just love that team and, and love what they're about. Love those players. Yeah, good side. Very good side. And now that, that uh, Ronaldo's gone back, you must be... Uh, uh, Honestly, it was the greatest day as a United fan. I couldn't Especially believe it. We all thought he was joining the city. <laughs> yeah, when I read he was joining City, I was absolutely devastated. And it was weird. I had my Man United shirt on that day, just casually at home. I don't yeah. wear it, wear it out too often. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just casually wearing it at home, and then that was announced. I just honestly, I couldn't believe it. I was watching Sky Sports for about five hours, and misses losing my head about it. Um, but I was like, it's just the greatest day as a Man United fan. I think. If you did make it in football, because I know you obviously uh, reading about your history and your um, and how you loved uh, uh, football itself, what position would you have played? Probably left back or centre mid. Centre mid because I love Keane and the way he gets involved, getting in tackles. I think it would have been a sort of defensive midfielder, just breaking up play, flying into tackles, getting stuck yeah. in. Yeah, or yeah. or a left back because I'm left footed and defending again, I guess. I think I'm quick enough further. <laughs> and if you didn't play rugby, what do you think you would have been doing? I think I would have gone to uni because I had a deferred place on um sports science course. Um, so I would have gone to uni and then probably even been in sport in some way or, or another, I can imagine. But specifically, I don't know. No idea. Awesome. Well, let's come back. And talk property. Talk Sport and Property Podcast, sponsored by MPH Sports Property Academy. Download the app today from the App Store or Google Play by typing in MPH Sports, the trusted go to app for sports people looking to buy or learn about property. Mike, welcome back, mate. Um, well, look, I'm I'm eager to know more about uh, your property experience and and when it all started. When did you buy your first property, Mike, and and where was it? Yeah, so I bought my first property in 2007. So off the back of that that uh, debut England tour, obviously we get a decent sum of money for for England appearances and tours. So I had a spare bit of cash, and I I really wanted to get on the property market. I'm not one for lavishly spending money. I, I like I'm quite tight save and and try and use it quite responsibly, um, I, I think. So yeah, I straight away wanted to use that to um, to get on the property ladder. So 
I got suggested an area called Sunbury on Thames, which you seem to get a bit more uh, for your money. Um, definitely did back then. Uh, you know, in terms of London as an area and, and surrounding areas, um, you do anyway. And it was had good train links and things like that. It was not far from the stoop. It was pretty simple to get the training as well. So just seemed like a good good place. And I ended up buying with with a mate, joining up with a mate, so that we could both get on the property ladder and, and afford it. And it was back when you could get I think it was like a five percent mortgage or something yeah so um those were the days weren't they um so we did two and a half each um because that's what we could afford and we 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 did it um so so he lived there first and then he moved out and he would rent his room to to a mate of mine um so yeah it worked really well and it was right opposite a train station so which went straight into town it was a slow train but it was still great because it was a slow train, it wasn't noisy. It was a gated development. So yeah, it was really good off-street off parking in terms of being in the gated development and things like that. So it was a really good fit. And during your um, your 16 years at Quinn's, did you buy any other properties? And can you maybe sort of share what sort of portfolio you have today? And Yeah, so from, the, from then on, I went on to buy another four properties in that same development. So I've got five in total because... It was always recommended to me stick to kind of what you know in terms of property in the areas you know. So, and those 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 flats just seemed to rent well. Um, when I moved out of that first one, they they just that worked well in terms of the rent and what I was getting. It was a good, decent amount of rent in terms of what I was paying for the for the mortgage, and they rented so quick. You know, the fact that it was by the station, it was good good parking. Um, they're they're split level masonette, so it feels like you've got two levels decent size double bedrooms and, t- and, and they keep it nice and tidy in, in, the, in the development, which is great as well and look after really well. So in terms of that, I just stuck to there and I, I've got five in total now, which all rent out really well. And then on top of that, we've, we've got our forever home that we was, I was talking to you about yeah. um, previously in Isha. Yeah. Um, you know, through my career, I've been lucky enough. And like I said, I'm a saver. So, you know, I've been saving for, for, for getting our forever home and, we were desperate to stay in Isha and there's not a lot in Isha, as you probably well know. It's very uh, pretty pricey area. So we were lucky to find a place that was very run down. And originally a property developer had, uh, had an offer accepted after we'd already viewed it. Um, but my wife, um, very tenacious uh, lady, young lady, she is. <laughs> once, she has, once she has something in her side, she wants it. So she ended up actually going to meet the owner, persuading her, um, how, however she did to to not go with the property developer and come with us because the property developer as well wanted to change it that plot into three properties on that plot whereas we just wanted our forever home there so I think the, the lady quite liked the fact that we wanted to just do that and it was the family yeah so we managed to get it and we kind of left only about three walls of it and did it up and managed to do it all get it all done during that main lockdown actually which was good. Nothing stopped in terms of building and stuff. A few delays, but nothing major. Thank, thank goodness we moved in. But then we were only there for about six months and then the, the move to Newcastle happened. So it's a bit of a shame, but at least we know we have a base where we want to end up um, in the long run. And, you know, it's a beautiful area to live in. We're very lucky with, with what we've got. So I've got, yeah, got six in total, which is great. Your wife sounds like she needs a job at MPH Sports, mate. She's not looking, is she? Um, do you know what she, she probably would if you offered it? No, she's great at that sort of thing, you know, property and and looking for what she likes. And also, she was amazing in getting done up. She she did everything from helping the 
with the plans, you know, going back and forth with the um, the um, what they call do the plans architects. Sorry, yeah. it, it crossed my mind. Yes, she was <laughs> on to him going to have meetings with them. So no, don't like this. Change it to this. Um, very hands on with all that, and then the design, choosing all the fixtures and fittings. She was unbelievable. Um, she's she's done made a uh, you know she's come up with a beautiful, amazing property. Um, which I had nothing to do with. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, she has a great <laughs> eye for that sort of thing. Very honest. So, yeah. You've always had an appetite for property, but where did your enthusiasm come from? Do you know, I think it was just thinking to myself, what's the best way to use this, this income that I'm incredibly lucky to get and not just have spare money sat around being used for something stupid or not being used at all um you know you can make investments but you know if they're unless they're really risky they don't actually make you know a huge amount of money in a short period of time um or something like that so you know i just thought to myself it's best to put it in bricks and mortar. so that was what was always recommended to me you can kind of make a little bit of money on the side with the rent that you make um but you just got something there tangible and, and something that you've got from from that money so that's why I got into it it just seemed like the best thing to do with my money and obviously I, I mentioned that I'm a bit tight and I like to save and stuff like that and I, that for me was just the best way of using that saved money so so that's what I did and and I just wanted to you know whenever I was lucky enough to make a bit of money from England just try and use that to then get another property and another property and that's why I was lucky enough to get to get the five so nice. yeah, it was uh, worked out well that's unbelievable, mate. Honestly, just out of interest, did you buy these properties in a company name, or did you put it in your own name? Yeah, so a bit of mix, really. The first one was was in a personal name, and then another one was in is is through um, Image Rights Company because as as a professional mm-hmm. sportsman, we have we can have an Image Rights Company paying for England and stuff like that. So to use that money, I've done that, which the company obviously own, and then branching off from the Image Rights Company, I've got a property company and, and a couple are in there so it's a bit of a mix really awesome i did a workshop for the rpa during the first lockdown um we probably had about sort of 50 players um there actually including a few of your teammates including danny danny was great that's when him and i got in contact um where were you mate <laughs> i think i didn't get the invite Lee. oh i'm gonna blame blame sent me the invite yeah, yeah. Sent me the invite so, uh, <laughs> Just, is, it's do your you, fault do you often find that property can be a uh I guess like a popular topic of conversation when you sort of travel or in and around the changing rooms or. Yeah. So you, you don't like talking about money and, and what you've got and what, you, what you're going to do with your money too much. Cause it's obviously a very private, private thing, but when you do start talking about, you know, investments or if people ask for advice or you ask other people advice, I think yeah. it always naturally goes to, to talking about property and things like that. Because it's just, a, I think it's just a safe way to invest your money. It's a, it's a good way to do it. I feel like as much as you can, you should get on the property ladder. And yeah, just it just works well if you buy them in the right area and, you, and um, you've done your research on it, and you know you know you can rent it well and things like that. It's, I think it's a no brainer for me. No, I think that's really good advice, particularly to sort of the younger players coming through. You know, um, I mean, we've we've just agreed a three year partnership with the RPA, so as part of our agreement, we're going to be a, out visiting um the 12 premiership clubs and delivering these sort of free property workshops sort of 20 to 25 minutes um which allows us to 
just try and encourage players to consider property as part of their future a bit like what you've done really if I come to Newcastle mate is this something I can sort of tempt you into or yeah yeah if I get the invite this time I'd, I'd be, uh, <laughs> be keen for it yeah um, no sounds good good man I am aware of the time I know yeah. you uh you need to go um but I just also wanted to in in light of the information you've just uh listed on LinkedIn I just wanted to congratulate you with your your masters um where did that inspiration come from yeah so uh, naturally as, as a player at my age um I was unsure of what I wanted to do post rugby and transitioning out of out of uh professional sport and the last couple of years I've kind of been thinking about that and what I wanted to do and I knew I didn't want to be um, a coach you know the hands-on coach on the field sessions taking session session planning or all that sort of thing but I wanted to stay in sport and use my experience and knowledge that you know I've 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 been lucky enough to to build up uh, through my long career so you know one 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 thing that kept coming to to mind and and I think suits me best was, is sort of managing the performance side of of, um, of a team, probably rugby, you know, like a director of rugby, or field director of rugby, sporting director in football, that sort of role, um, where you put the right heads of department in place, the head coach, the head of medical, the head of recruitment, all those sort of things. You're looking at the sort of medium to long-term future of the club um, instead of just the short-term that obviously a coach has to deal with, setting the culture and identity of, of, of a club, um, so then everything on that performance side aligns to that. And then obviously being a link from the performance side to the board and the CEO, that's the kind of role you know, I was interested in. And the more I spoke about it, the more, the more I researched it, especially the sporting director role in football, the more this course kept coming up. I spoke to people like Mark Evans, who was director of rugby, and, and uh, I think he was CEO at Quinn's back in, in my early days. Uh, I spoke to him and various other people. This, this course kept coming up. First, I come up. I, I never thought I'd go back to anything academic. I done, haven't done anything since the age of eighteen, leaving sixth form college. I never thought I'd be one, be able to get on a course like that, and two, be able to manage it. You know, the confidence to do it have, would I have the academic skills to do it. But you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought if I, if I have that experience that I've gained in rugby, plus something on paper with all the learnings I'll get with that as well in terms of managing and leadership, the better place I'll be in post rugby to transition seamlessly. Got in touch with the guys at the on the course at the course Donna who who runs the course and and people like that and they were they they really put me at ease about how how much it's structured towards people like me that are currently playing or currently in a business or currently working you know in terms of their time people that haven't been in academic um, studies for for a long time they really put me at ease with that so I thought you know I'm just going to go for it and, and and really commit to it like, you know kind of use the rugby mindset I've had with this. So then I can, like I said, put myself in a great position post-rugby. And I'm really excited about, about it and, and potentially going on to, to get into a role, you know, a director rugby role or sporting director or director role. I think that's really brave. It sounds really exciting. And I wish you all the very best with it, Mike. Honestly, Thank you. Um, good luck with the season. Appreciate it. And hopefully I'll be up to see you boys soon. Brilliant. Yeah, that'd be great. And let me know if you want to come to a game when I'm finally able to, to get off the field. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Honestly, no mate, thank you so much for coming on Talk Sport and Property. I can't thank you enough. No problem. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Talk Sport and Property. 
Visit the App Store and download the MPH Sports app today or keep up with us over on Instagram 